welcome to the Missouri Valley Conference, Mobilizing Voices for Change. I'm Kelly Burke, and we have our third roundtable today on race and social justice. Joining me is Jameson Whiting, the former Northern Iowa football player, now in his final year of law school at UC Irvine. Jameson, upon graduation this year, will be joining a large law firm back in his hometown of Minneapolis. Shannon Ryan is the longtime Chicago Tribune sports reporter and columnist who specializes in college sports, including covering Loyola and University of Illinois, among many teams. Shannon's also been very active in covering the intersection of race and social issues in sports. She's also a mom to her biracial son, seven-year-old Aiden. And Kareem Richardson, the former Evansville point guard and standout turned Indiana State assistant men's basketball coach. Kareem is in his second stint in Terre Haute. He's also active in Coaches for Change, and he is the father of three. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you so much for being here today. Before we get into the meat of our discussion, I wanted to give you all an opportunity to really give some context to each of your backgrounds and, and growing up and how it shaped who you are today and what you're doing now. So, Jameson, let's start with you. Thank you, Kelly, for the introduction. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here I'm all with you, Shannon and Kareem. It's, uh, it's definitely, especially around this time, it's good seeing friendly faces and especially from the Missouri Valley as well because, you know, I love my time there. But I guess sort of, you know, my path to where I am now. Um, grew up in Minneapolis, um, inner city Minneapolis. My mother was a teacher there, so she taught, um, you know, in the school district for, I think, probably over 30 years now. Um, so I was sort of able to go to schools outside of, uh, outside of where we lived. So I was able to go to the good schools sort of in Minneapolis. And that's sort of where, you know, my uh, experience and, and value for education came from. Grew up, um, you know, going to all the inner city schools, high school, uh, was lucky enough to, to be able to play uh, with, a, with a little leather ball and was good enough to, you know, earn a scholarship uh, at Northern Iowa, went there, played for four years, and then um, graduated, spent about a year sort of working with uh, Keith Ellison when he was a Congress member out in D.C., um, and sort of for the American Entrepreneurship Award as well. And then now I headed off to law school to figure things out and almost done. Thank you, Kelly. Shannon. It's nice to see all of you. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a uh, probably the opposite of it sounds like where Jameson grew up in rural Ohio, <laughs> where cows were my next door neighbor. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it um, yeah just a very homogenous setting. And then um, and then I went to school at St. Mary's College in South Bend, Indiana, and started working for the newspaper there that's affiliated with Notre Dame. So I covered a lot of Notre Dame sports too. So. That was exciting and made me want to go into the um, sports writing field. And um, then I started out in Philadelphia and where there's a lot of passionate, very sports is their religion, a lot like Chicago. <laughs> so, uh, and that's a city that really toughens you up, I think, from, you know, a girl from Ohio. Um, and really, really enjoyed that and then came to Chicago like, uh, I think, 11, 12 years ago now um, and started working for the Tribune. Um, and covering a lot of college sports, but like you said, um, a, a lot of other things too, and getting more into column writing as well. Thanks uh, for having me, glad to uh, be on. Um, I grew up, uh, my dad, mom and dad, before they uh, would, got divorced, my, my dad was in the Air Force, so I, uh, I grew up bouncing, bouncing around, and, and um, you know, I was, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, and stayed there for uh, just a little bit, then lived in, lived in England, lived in California, um, you know, lived uh, Illinois. I call Rantoul, Illinois home. That's where I went to high school. And so, so that's what I call home, uh, uh, probably the most uh, time that I spent and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get, get recruited to play basketball and uh, started off at East Carolina where I uh, was able to, you know, a couple of years there and fortunate enough to go to a NCAA tournament there and then uh, transferred and finished up at the University of Evansville uh, here in the Missouri Valley. 
and uh, play for a wonderful coach, Jim Cruz, and um, who uh, you know taught taught me a lot about the about the game and and uh, really paved the way for you know wanting to get into college coaching. And so after I graduated uh, college, I went right into right into coaching. Was a GA at University of Indianapolis for two years, and then. Um, as mentioned, you know, this is my second stint. My first Division One job was here at Indiana State uh, a long, long time ago. And so I've, I've bounced around to a bunch of different schools. And, and um, now this is my second stint here at Indiana State. And uh, really, uh, really fortunate and glad to, to be back here to help out with Greg Lansing, who's been here for uh, going on this 12th year here at uh, Indiana State. Done a wonderful job here. And um, I have, I have, uh, as mentioned, I have three, three kids, so uh, two, two biological, then a, a stepdaughter of mine who's uh, 23. The, my boys are 15 and 10, and um, uh, as we'll get into uh, having two boys through uh, in this time, and um, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's interesting time. You know, I got a got a teenager who's getting ready to get his license here uh, in in a little bit of time, and so. Uh, it's certainly it's certainly a, uh, a nervous nervous time and exciting time all all in one with the, with everything that's going on having having two boys at this uh, during this time so that's that's kind of my story in short and, and uh, again very very honored to uh, be a part. We're glad to have you, Kareem. Thank you, Jamison. I I wanted to start with you. Minneapolis is home for you. You actually grew up three blocks from where George Floyd was killed your community was directly affected in some of the aftermath from his death. How did seeing the pain of your own community become an impetus for you to take action as part of the Rebuild Minneapolis campaign? For everyone, especially, you know, being in Minneapolis, it's been sort of a emotional time. And, you know, sort of just seeing, you know, your city go from the wonder, wonderful place that we know it is, at least on the outside. Um, and then the next day, sort of just on fire, is something that, you know, is, is completely foreign to, to most in the United States. And you don't think you'd ever see that, you know, in the, the reality that we live in today. But, you know, it was, you'd each get a note each day. So after uh, George Floyd was murdered, the, the protest the next day, I believe on that Tuesday, you know, peaceful is always peaceful in the morning. Everything where there's tons of people, you would see this hope and this want for change. And then sort of at night, it would seem like emotions would uh, boil over and more or less looked like a, like a third world country. You know, you saw these things that, you know, buildings on fire, you know, it's, it was very lawless at the moment, but also it's a lot of pain. You see a lot of pain and like a lot of my, high school friends out there that, you know, I saw, you know, running around doing things that may or may not have been, you know, sort of supported, but it was something that, you know, a lot of people were, were hurt. A lot of people were feeling pain and, and that's the way that some chose to express that, that anger and that frustration. And so for me, just looking at it, it was, you got a sort of a gamut of uh, emotions that were on display. And, you know, I think the, the one thing that, you know, my girlfriend and I, she was the one that um, helped with this campaign that we sort of ran was, you know, that first night we saw just, you know, it was it, and, and the, the problem was it wasn't just your, your targets, your Walmarts that were on fire. It was sort of these small businesses. It was these minority owned businesses that were getting destroyed, getting looted. And we just, you know, felt sort of a, a pull to, to do something. And that's sort of where, you know, that came from. And honestly, it was a lot of, a lot of um, support from, you know, my networks in, in Iowa, in California, and people knowing that, you know, I live in Minneapolis, and they were like, is there any way to help? And at that point, you know, we were like, looked at ourselves, and she's, she's actually a, a volleyball player at South Dakota. She's in the Summit League. So obviously, the, the worst league out of the two. But so you know, there's a little there's a little competition there, and so you know we kind of that sort of stem our our uh, you know sort of initiative to try to help and help these these businesses sort of get back on their feet you know right away. 
you and your girlfriend, Kelly Law, you, you actually raised over $14,000 towards that initiative. When you went out in the community and you, you distributed the money and some of the donations to these local minority business owners, what were the reactions? Yeah, and, and for us, you know, we, we saw these sort of funds popping up, which are great and, you know, is that raised millions of dollars. But it was, as I'm sure, you know, many of us know, it's going to take a while for that money to get into the hands of these business owners. And, you know, the stories that we heard were just one purely amazing. Like the first place we went to, we heard from a friend um, that someone was in need. There was a, a jewelry store owner that um, had his shop sort of all tore up took everything out of it. So we went there and when we got there, you know, he sort of told us um, that he was going to be fine. The insurance was going to pick up, but um, one of his uh, other business owners right next to him, she was, you know, new, newly a uh, new citizen to the United States and same sort of building this jewelry shop right next to him, didn't have insurance. And so he was like, if you want to give her, you know, the funds, that would be great. And so it was sort of that, you know, in these moments of distress that, you know, you still see this, this good of humanity and he just passed it on. It's like, Hey, can you give it to her and not me? I don't need it as much as she does. And so that was kind of the pretty much like along the whole lines of just, you know, sort of good stories to hear. One of my favorite ones was, uh, went to a barbershop over on the North side of Minneapolis and went there and I kept seeing the last name and I was like, I know this name, I know this name. And I get there, you know, we, we just uh, exchange the money and have like a wonderful conversation at the end of it. He's like, yeah, my, uh, my son played football at, at Washburn, which was where I went to, you know, high school. And he's, and I was like, is your son, you know, Rory? And he's like, that's, that's my son. I've known him. Like, so I kind of coached him before, before I left. And so it was a really good feeling to like know that, you know, we were helping in this regard. And it's, it's just been, you know, wonderful to sort of see this, this change in Minneapolis that even though we are sort of hurting at the moment, there's all these stories of, of positive, you know, influence on, on our community. That's awesome. It's so great that you and your girlfriend did that. Kareem, you've taken action in a different way. Why did you become involved with the coaches for change mission? It was easy. You know, um, a good, a good friend of mine, uh, Carmen, who kind of spearheaded, he's a head coach at Siena. We were on a, uh, you know, at that time on several different uh, uh, Zoom meetings and, and talks about everything that was going on. And, uh, and uh, in one of the Zoom, Zoom meetings that, that I was on, it was a, it was a predominantly black uh, coaches uh, on there, you know, just, uh, uh, voicing their frustration and calm happened to be on the call and, and um, you know, I think was really, uh, really took a, a pretty, uh, uh, you know, good step forward of being probably one of the only, it was about 150 coaches on there and there were probably like a handful of white coaches on there. And Carm uh, spoke up and, and said something that I thought was really interesting. You know, he was just kind of giving feedback. He's like, hey, maybe we should, uh, when the season come, maybe we should, uh, you know, uh, kneel for eight minutes and 46 seconds or, you know, whatever we can do. And I, and I shot uh, Carm a text afterwards. And I said, hey, Carm, I thought that was a really good idea. And he's like, then he, uh, we were talking, we actually, then we spoke and he was telling me about his idea uh, for coaches and I asked if I would help if I thought it was a you know good idea. And I was like, excellent idea. And uh, we kind of put our heads together and, and started reaching out to different coaches and, and, and wanted it to be a diverse group. Um, and so uh, being a part of that was, was a no-brainer for me. And, uh, you know, I'm – as I was telling Carm, I'm a, I've always pretty much have taken the, the politically correct road, I guess to say, in, in this business. And, and there's, a, there's many of reasons for that. And, and uh, ironically, one of, the, one of the biggest reasons is being a black coach in this business has always, uh, you know, I've always felt like I've had to watch what I say uh, to make sure that I don't, uh, you know, intimidate or scare you know, white counterparts and, and what's going on. And so uh, I'm in, I've, I've been in this business now since 97. So I've been in this, you know, over 20 years. And, you know, it was just time for me to, to, to speak and not, not feel 
like I have to hold my tongue, so to speak, and, and be a part of something uh, in this business more than just wins and losses and, and so obviously trying to help, help uh, guys graduate and so forth, so on. But, you know, do something that's, that uh, I think for the society would be, be a, be a great thing. And so I, I've been, I'm, I'm so ecstatic to be a part of such a powerful uh, group. Uh, we have over a hundred members now in the group. It started off as, as uh, uh, the original group was about 40, 40 uh, men's coaches. And again, like I said, uh, from, from, uh, coast to coast, we have every conference uh, that is that's uh, you know represented in our group. And now, then, as we started talking and and uh, you know we started getting things out there for social media wise, you know, some women coaches were asking how they can get involved. And so we thought that'd be a wonderful idea to expand it, not just women, but women, women coaches. And then we got strength and conditioning coaches because they see the players in a different light and probably spend more time than we do as coaches. So we have in all, like I said, we have a hundred coaches. Uh, we say everybody's a coach, everybody's uh, coaches that are involved with this organization. Then we have an advisory group that's, that's uh, super powerful as well. And so uh, it's just been awesome. And, and, um, you know, one of our biggest things right now, as we all know, November 3rd with the with the voting has been big. And we've challenged each each program to uh, get 100 uh, percent voter registration amongst their players and then see if we can expand that uh, to other other teams and uh, across campus. And so we uh, I'm proud to say we just matter of fact, today we're going to get something out. We finally got all our guys. We're going to be at 100 percent. Uh, we are at 100% now, so which is awesome, and uh, we're just trying to get get that to get that message out. That's our first agenda uh, right now, uh, and then then after we're going, but we're going to keep it going. You know, it's not it's not a, not an organization where we're going to be kind of like a one hit wonder, so to speak, and and talking about voting. But we want to we want to talk about and and see if we can get some of these um, uh, laws, uh, you know, reformed and, and things that, that, that hit our own, each individual, like in Terre Haute or Chicago, wherever it may be, each individual uh, city and and town to get some laws in there that, that uh, have, uh, you know, don't quite make sense. That can be, whether it's uh, from, you know, the, the, the way that uh, as we see times, how long it takes in some places, voter suppression, how long it takes to vote and to try to uh, discourage people from voting. It's taken six, seven hours where we know there should be a better, better way to, to get those type of things done. And so uh, so long story short, it was it was, you know, it's, I, again, I've been in, I'm an elder statesman in this in this profession, and I just thought it was it was a great opportunity for me to be a part of something really powerful as, as coach for, for change. Kareem, I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, the voting because one thing I wanted to ask all three of you about is, is how important is it right now to empower the student athletes to, to use their voices and to help create change by voting? It's super uh uh, powerful, you know, uh, our, our four pillars of the coaches for change. You, you talk about empower. Uh, we have the four C's that we talk about. We have engage, we have educate, we have empowerment and we have evolve. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's super, um, it's super important for, for our, our student athletes. And, and I'll be honest with you, not only our student athletes, <laughs> but coaches and, and people of, of alike. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not afraid to to admit it. I'm I'm ashamed, but I'm not afraid. I vote. I've voted twice in my in my lifetime, and uh, and because I was one of those that thought it wasn't that important. And so, um, it, you know, it, it's it's uh, hopefully we can get the message across to our student athletes and then whomever else. Hopefully, even younger than that, that uh, that are uh, that that kind of see our you know because we even try to reach the high school level high school coaches and so they can get to their players I know some of them may not be 18 but just so they can start hearing about how important and not not only uh, uh, just the national uh, the presidents but the local that's where we're talking about that's where you know we're hearing it more and more that's where the change really comes from uh, from our our local voting and and knowing you know who's our 
you know, state representatives, who's, who's, you know, attorney general, you know, all, all of those things that, and that's where, where we really want to really, really want to try to hit home even more so within our own communities uh, and not just the, the president, uh, national president race. And as you mentioned, Indiana State, your entire team's now registered to vote. And, and that's something we're seeing in a lot of teams in our league. And, and what's encouraging, too, is that a lot of um, our teams in our league have even said on, on November 3rd, you're not going to practice. Some of them aren't right. going to practice. They're going to allow their team to make, sh- make sure that everybody has the opportunity to go vote. No question about it. Shannon. That part's really interesting just because it reminds me of um, something I wrote that came out today about the history of um, athletes protesting and activism and just the influence athletes can have. Um, so, you know, I think when a campus sees athletes voting or this idea of you're giving athletes the day off to vote, should that be a national holiday? And it gets people thinking and it puts pressure on our legislators. And there's a really long history of this with um, the power that athletes have had, not just to change minds in this country and, you know, you admire somebody like Jesse Owens or Jackie Robinson or Althea Gibson, and you, you know, you start seeing them as people and seeing the barriers they break. But there's also, I think, a power that we're seeing going on right now with the collective nature of the athlete protest that's gone across every league and every team and um, gender, race being involved. That is a really unique time. So we're seeing um, like what the NBA did where they're turning voting um, arenas into voting sites and they're putting pressure on legislators to end qualified immunity for policing. And um, I think right now what we're seeing is a really a new tide of athlete activism that um, that isn't going away soon. And I think it's really resonating with just every American right now where sometimes you think, okay, that's a nice story, good for this guy, you know, is doing something, but you're just seeing it in such numbers. And we're all going through it at the same time too. Like what Jameson said about seeing um, the protests in Minneapolis and every city is seeing that right now or so somewhere in your state, probably this is going on and you can, you're seeing it in a more first person way for some of us that I think it's connecting with people more and athletes are really at the, the forefront of that. So for my, and with, for my responsibility as a reporter, I think it's, there's been a really long, um, not great record for sports media, um, which has largely been white men, to go along with this stick to sports idea and just do the numbers and the games and the stats and um, not really delve into the lives of the athletes, what you're going through, what changes do you want? I think, you know, it's, uh, I, thought, I think often even at the college level where college activism is like such a almost tenant of like, uh, you know, of the American experience. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I just feel like with my responsibility and I, I think it is changing, but, you know, we, we need to cover these athletes as, more than just basketball players or football players, but as human beings and actually like social changers. Um, and I think, I think we are seeing that, but obviously there's a lot of pushback. I mean, every time an athlete does something, you're targeted by the president of the United States. I mean, that is a huge risk. And it's, it's really impressive to me that I think after what happened with Colin Kaepernick, who took a huge risk and was ostracized um, and villainized by so many people in America, that and also really beloved by a lot of people too right but um from like the presidential level and administrative level of our country um but then to see athletes not be scared off by that and to embrace that and really band together and come together in this moment i think it's um having a big impact in how our country has seen the black lives matter movement i think you have to give um athletes a lot of credit for almost like normalizing that among white people in America. So um, I think it's, it's a really just stunning time in our country. So I feel like honored to be able to cover this, but I also feel like it's my responsibility. So it is uh, somewhat irritating or, uh, you know, you shake your head a little bit when you see people ignoring that part, because I think sports has been thought of as like this separate entity in 
newspapers or media that you're not supposed to cross those lines when those lines have always been crossed. And unfortunately, I mean, you look back even to when um, the color line was being broken in baseball, and that was really widely known and covered because of black newspapers and black owned newspapers and black reporters covering that. If you look back, I mean, a lot of white newspapers didn't really even talk about it much, which is like so bizarre <laughs> and irresponsible. So hopefully we're coming, uh, we're starting, I think, to come away from that just because it's being forced on a lot of people too. So it does take risk because, you know, people don't always want to hear that. Um, you know, I get not so pleasant emails every single day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh you know, but it's, it's my responsibility as a reporter. So just kind of going off what Kareem was saying about the, the voting part and the, the activism right now, I just, it, it's, it's a really interesting time for my job. And especially, you know, with that intersection with COVID too, and sports and race all kind of combined there that we have a lot to, this idea that there's nothing to cover because there aren't games being played, not in my world. So I don't think that should be in anybody's world right now when you're a reporter, no matter what you're covering. Janet, you hit on a lot of points I want to delve in on more um, in a second, including the, the lack of diversity in our, our own industry in sports media. I, I want to give uh, Jameson an opportunity, though, just uh, anything he has to say about student-athletes and, and voting. Shannon and Kareem, all, you know, hit on, you know, almost everything you could, you could touch there. And I think one of the things that especially athletes have with their platform is sort of keeping this uh, discussion and this narrative in the, the social consciousness of, of right now. And I think that's what athletes are, are able to do with this platform, especially on the, you know, college level and, and going up to the professional leagues, but this ability to keep what matters at the forefront of our discussion and our, our society is something that like we all know, this is, this is going to be, it's not an overnight thing. It's going to take time. And I think what, what athletes are able to do is keep that there and keep that in people's minds and, and, and use this platform you know, most teams nowadays and most of these athletes have, you know, thousands and thousands of followers that people are seeing and you're seeing this every single day. And if that sort of change and, you know, more or less the, the ability to keep it there, is, is there for a long time. That's when I think sort of this, this change come about. And I think that's where, you know, athletes and their platform sort of, you know, take over and do what we all wanted to do. Can, can I, can I jump in there too? Yeah, go back to, to what uh, Jameson was saying and keeping, you know, keeping it going. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. And, you know, the, the thing, and I, I'll be very candid, the thing that I hope, um, uh, doesn't happen and, and prohibit things is uh, because I know it's a it's a little bit of a business as well when you start talking about college athletes not a little bit a lot of business in college athletics and, and where I'm getting to is hopefully that we have enough athletic directors and and presidents and chancellors out there that that continue to support um, support these athletes, student athletes for what they're, the position that they're taking, the activism that they're doing and not allow money to get in the way. And what I mean by that is um, there still has to be fundraising done, right? And so um, I, I hope, I hope uh, you know, the presidents and the chancellors and the, and the ADs uh, don't allow fundraising because you may make some uh, let's be honest, you may make some boosters and donors a little uncomfortable with all this. And so there's still going to be that part of it, too, where they're like, you know, uh, if you piss somebody off, they may not give you that check that you're looking for. But I think it's going to be important for, for the, uh, our student athletes to know, not, not just on the surface, but deep down that they have the support from uh, the administrators. That's a really great point. I'm curious from, from all three of you, when it comes to the media, as, as Shannon alluded to, uh, the reality is that the majority of reporters covering sports in our industry are white uh, and, and mostly white male. And that's something I have conversations with all the time with my colleagues and friends, especially of color in our industry is, is how do we fix that and how do we change that? So when you have reporters like myself, like Shannon, who are white, we happen to be female, 
how do we best embrace the responsibility that comes with understanding and reporting on these social issues? Shannon, let's start with you and then we'll, we'll go to Kareem and go to Jameson. Oh gosh, I'd love to hear from Kareem and Jameson on this because I mean, I think about it a lot too. Um, and, and you know, like I said, we all have a responsibility to write about it, um, but you also have to be educated on it. So um, a lot of people might write about race and sports and, and just handle it really poorly. But I think it's, a lot of it is listening and a lot of it is, it's, it's a lot easier right now. I mean, everybody has a social media platform um, and people are already being outspoken before you approach somebody to say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And um, I, I think another thing what Kareem mentioned um, that stood out to me about getting white coaches involved is, um, you know, this, these questions shouldn't just be asked to black athletes and black coaches. Like we have a responsibility to ask athletic directors, what are you doing about, about this? Or, you know, universities, what are your hiring practices too? And then sports media in general too. I mean, it's, it's largely a white field. Um, and even I've had places where like, I'm the only woman, but like, I'm also white and people will be like, oh, we're divor diver uh, diverse, we have Shannon. I'm like, no, that's not <laughs> covering all the bases here, you know? So there's a problem with that um, as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we can be um, the biggest hypocrites in a way in, in sports media because we're not doing it and we're not. Uh, um, but, you know, when we get, you know, the black women in this field and women of color in this field uh, are extremely marginalized. And um, I, I see this excuse all the time when new startup websites start. It's always like, oh, it's just it's just hard to find people. It's really not. I mean, we have the NABJ. You see places like the undefeated and the talent there. Um, there's there's so much young talent too, and you see just like in coaching. I mean, you know who gets who rises to the top sometime or gets these chances. Um, you know, without some long track record. Or, um, you know, so I mean, it, th there is talent there. We have to do better. Um, in our industry too. I don't know if that answered your, your question. I'd love to hear more from Kareem and Jameson though about how to approach that. Kareem. I think with the, you know, uh, listening, you know, we, we, we're hearing that a lot. You know, we got to listen and, and more important thing, we got to hear, hear stories and, and hear what uh, 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 student athletes are going to and hopefully, you know, like Shannon, you know, she, you know, she reports with, uh, with Loyola, being able to get in there uh, when the time when, you know, I know media can't be on our campus right now, but when you can be on campus and actually hear, hear uh, individual stories and, and what's going on, you know, because there's a, there's a, you know, on the surface, we all think we're, uh, or, you know, a lot of times people that aren't within the circle think these student athletes are invincible. Like they aren't bothered by a lot of things. And so, which is just the opposite. Uh, it's, it's a scary time for them and, and have their own stories about uh, seeing a relative or maybe themselves being involved with being pulled over by a police officer and being treated uh, the, the wrong way and, and, and kind of being stereotyped and different things like that. So hearing, and, and uh, again, I, I more so not only listen, but I think hear stories and hear the feelings of, of these student athletes to be able to break that barrier down for, for uh, you know, uh, white females to be able to get in there and, and be able to understand and be able to uh, know what these guys are, what these guys are feeling like and, and their emotions and, and what, what triggers their emotions, what, uh, you, know, you know, how they really, really truly feel about things. I think what, you know, is, especially within sports media and, you know, society in general is this, this sort of conception that athletes are invincible and that they, you know, don't have feelings, don't have emotions. And I think, especially right. And even within the athletic community themselves, I think we have this sort of, yeah, nothing can, can touch us, this invincibility about it. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's sort of this prevailing um, thought and this sort of undercurrent of seeing people that look like you get killed every day. These, uh, measures in place to sort of keep you down these things take their toll and i think for for and it's hard to to come to grips with as athletes but i think it's 
now more than more than ever it's starting to sort of come about in ways that are that are healthy and i think sort of understanding this 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 trauma and emotion behind um all those especially you know black men in in athletics is is paramount to sort of understanding what uh, you know athletes go through on on sort of a daily basis and i think you know i'm sure coach can can attest to that but you know these young men these young women in these fields, it, it's there seems to get more and more on their plate as sort of you know days and days go on, and, and sort of this now this prevailing nature that you know you have to also be an activist on top of you know school, on top of practice, on top of you know family life is is just another thing added to the plate. For the, the faction of people out there that say athletes and coaches need to stick to sports, that they need to shut up and dribble, that politics, race, social issues, that they don't belong in sports, what would you all want them to understand about the athletes and coaches they look to for entertainment, yet at the same time are criticizing for speaking out on anything unrelated to sports? Jameson, let's start with you. Honestly, you know, I think there's there might be a, a point to just playing basketball, right? And sort of doing, playing sports. It's sort of that, and, and it, it might sound odd, but doing this, that's, that's your platform. So if you're doing this, I'm like, do that to the best of your ability and what comes with it, then you're going to be able to bring these issues up. And so by just playing basketball, you're able to then, you know, build this platform. So I think it sort of goes against those that say, oh, you can only play basketball. Oh, you can only do play football. It's sort of, you know what, do that great. And then the opportunity that is afforded to you is then you can put these things on your platform. You can do these things. So I think sort of, I remember, I think it was, uh, you know, when LeBron James recently reached out to President Obama, Obama said, you know, sort of go play basketball, go do what you do. Don't let these things take away from you know, what makes you happy, go play basketball and doing that will bring even more than sort of sitting out. And, and, you know, obviously there's, there's a point to the sitting out and bringing awareness, but you know, you know, how many people watch, you know, Indiana state games, how many people watch, you know, Northern Iowa games, there's going to be thousands of people every night watching these games and doing that and doing that to the best of your ability. And then being able to, at the end of the day, sort of bring awareness to, to issues that, you know, matter is, you know, I think it's sort of invaluable at this point. Shannon. Yeah, this is um, something I think about a lot. Just like I said, the emails I get are all stick to sports basically for me too, but mostly aimed at, you know, don't pay any mind to what these athletes and coaches are saying. Um, We just want them for our entertainment purposes. Um, which if you want to think of it like in a bigger realm goes really back to like Jim Crow era stuff, um, which is pretty disturbing that, uh, you know, we just, you're fine to entertain us, but nothing else. Um, And I think that's a lot more pervasive than what people want to realize. Um, Maybe even on university campuses when we're thinking about how much uh, money athletes generate for colleges um, and then, you know, however you want to think about it, there's a lot of different ways, but compensated in some way or, um, you know, protected health-wise long-term in certain ways. Um, so, you know, but when I, when I hear from people saying just, just stick to sports, I don't even really think a lot of people actually believe that. It's stick to my politics um, because, you know, right now, um, you know, when the um, president was telling Colin Kaepernick and other athletes, not to kneel and get out of this country, but then, you know, if you look at why the national anthem is played at sports, you know, it's, it was a military PR thing. That's, that's sports and politics. Um, you know, the, the president weighing in on um, whether Big Ten football should play. And some people are like, yes, we, we love that. That's sports and politics. Um, so, and, and then, you know, like I said, there's a lot of um, historical uh, things that have changed because of sports and politics. I mean, you look at segregation, um, a lot of it, yeah, was with cities, buses, lunch counters, but there was also stadiums that were being integrated because of um, 
athletes demanding it. Um, the 1965 AFL game in New Orleans um, basically <laughs> helped desegregate this, that city. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's a, a pretty naive thing for people to say. It's, it's hard when a lot of people do right now, too. I understand that, you know, you want an escape because things are not great right now. You know, we have a, we're living in a pandemic where there's civil unrest, um, you know, people are out of jobs and it is nice to just sit and watch a game, but um, we can't be completely immune and separated. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive either. So I think people who use that line, it is a lot of political posturing in my opinion, because it's just when it's convenient to them that people should shut up. The reality is, too, that I think people think racism doesn't exist on both sides politically. It, there's, there's racists who are Democrats and there are racists who are Republicans. It's not mutually exclusive to, to one party or the other either. So. Yeah, I also think, I mean, that some of these issues aren't political. Like, it's not political to say people should have equal rights. I mean, that should, it has been made that way, but that shouldn't be a, a political statement. Even when you look at COVID, like saying you know, we should keep people as safe as possible. I mean, that shouldn't be political. A lot of these things in our country that have become political. And I mean, especially I think when it comes to topics of race, when people are just asking for equality and human rights, um, turning that into like a political stunt for votes is very disappointing, but there's, that's, uh, that's gone on for quite a while. I agree with uh, Shannon and Jameson and, and it's, it's interesting. I, I love, uh, how Shannon put it, like you know, people, people to, uh, at their convenience, you know, and so uh, that's 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 I think that's spot on, you know, you can't, you, you know, you want it, you want it every which way, but whichever way is more convenient for you or or, or aligns with your uh, individual beliefs is is uh, is definitely the way. But you know, my my thing is, and I'm 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 probably a little outside the box and kind of. It really bothers me when when you do hear that you know just shut up and dribble or you uh, athletes shouldn't be talking about uh, uh, things that are going on in the world like we're talking about social injustice or whatever it may be. And my my thing is like who who whose whose platform should it be? You know what I mean like who if if you're a school teacher like does that give you or if you're a firefighter does that give you like whose platform does it, does it necessarily go to, you know, who, who is it okay with? And so I, I think, you know, people, people get, uh, have, have been now the way the numbers are and, and the, the, the camaraderie and the unity that, that sports have come to with all of this. I think it has made some people very uncomfortable and it doesn't align with what their, their beliefs are. And so um, it, it's really bothersome to, to, to know that people feel and, and say that, you know, coaches and, and uh, athletes shouldn't speak upon things. I mean, we're all, we're humans for goodness sakes, you know. And so when we, when we turn on the TV and see, you know, Breonna Taylor being shot and killed or George Floyd being stepped on his, uh, you know, his neck and choked out, and, you know, it's like, so why, why shouldn't we have, have the, uh, the right to a platform in our opinion, just like uh, anyone else. And so uh, I just, I, I just go back. I just love, love with what especially younger guys, younger generation, men and women have come together and, and, and really bonded uh, throughout all of this. For the three of you again, what does it look like to be a real ally and advocate against racism? And Kareem, let's start with you because uh, your your mic's probably still open. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it's it, you know it's I, I mentioned a little bit about about uh, my kids and you know the and that's where I think it's it's hopefully it's going to hit home. Yeah, we're gonna. I think we we've certainly started down the right right road of, of change. Uh, we started now. It's a it's a heck of a long ways to go. Uh, but, you know, I think about, about my kids and, the, again, the two, my two boys at 15 and 10, getting ready to be 16 and 11, one getting ready to have a driver's license and, and uh, being, you know, uh, you know, having to have these discussions with, with, with my kids, um, you know, like Shannon, my, my boys are, are biracial, but at the end of the day, they're black. And, and that's how they're going to be perceived in uh, in the world. And and if a cop pulls them over, they're going to be a, a young black 
a teenager driving a car that that they're not quite sure about, you know. And so uh, I, I think it's pretty, pretty cool, so to speak, to have to be able to have these conversations. And, and now we can be be as open as we are, uh, whether it's my own kids, whether it's uh, our players. And so, you know, we had a conversation, we had a Zoom meeting uh, with our guys uh, um, after uh, the Jacob Blake situation. And our guys were our guys were a little a little quiet as we were talking about things, and and you can kind of feel the anger and um, and and discouragement that's happened because you you feel like like we were making change. Oh, now here here we go again. Um, but the thing that I I told them as we were as we were talking, I said I, I just hope that they're that they're being quiet doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have an opinion about things, and so I just. I just hope that these these the, the younger the younger people, you know, they may not always have something to say, but I hope they're formulating a, a an opinion or a, for themselves. Not yeah, you listen and you hear what people are saying, but I hope they're formulating a great and honest opinion about everything that's going on. So when their time, they they do feel comfortable enough to speak that they have gathered up enough information, educated themselves well enough to be able to talk about uh, this, this uh, different types of racism that are, that are going on. Jameson. I might touch on a point that you sort of brought up um, earlier, this sort of, this, it's not either a, a Republican or a Democrat issue. And I think one of those things, especially in, in Northern cities, and if I, if I may just use, sort of Minneapolis, for example, but um, this sort of this, this white liberalism complex of, um, well, I'm not racist, I can't be racist, I have black friends, I have, you know, people of color, I, I don't do anything explicitly racist, but understanding that, you know, racism isn't purely a, um, an outward sort of um, look, it's all, this is an instit institutionalized problem and a problem that you know, undergirds many of the, the systems and things within society that sort of control, whether that's education, uh, benefits, you know, it, it runs, runs the entire line of things. But this sort of, I think it really comes down to understanding that we are sort of fallible and that, you know, we might not have all of the answers. And you know what, you might have some racist views or and I think what we see in Minneapolis at least I've seen quite a bit and Minneapolis is sort of portrayed as this extremely um, liberal city in which it is but that doesn't make it immune from sort of racist indications or racist um, moves and I think what we've seen lately just with with our sort of civil unrest here is you know I'm all for the protesting I'm all for the peaceful protests but this I'm not I can't I can't believe people are rioting. I can't believe people are breaking things down. And at the end of the day, that's like, if that's what, you know, sort of is the move of the, the people of color, the black individuals in this area, I think it's, you might not, ha you might, might not be able to agree with it, but you kind of have to understand that if this is the, the way that people are able to express their emotion, like, you know, I think Kareem was saying and Shannon both, you know, it wasn't okay for Colin Kaepernick to kneel, right? It wasn't okay to have, you can't put BLM, you can't put a black uh, square on your Instagram. So then it comes out like, what are we able to do? And so I think that's where, you know, you kind of have these um, more or less microaggressions within the, the conversations that we have, both, you know, uh, conservative and, you know, liberal individuals. Jameson, I want to ask you a follow-up really quick. You mentioned the, the rioting and the looting. And, and one of the things that I get most often sort of as a rebuttal when I'm talking to people about this stuff is this tendency to, to focus on the rioting and the looting, which I, I think we can all agree none of us condone necessarily. But the reality is, for example, I, I just saw a, a study the other day that was done. 93% of Black Lives Matter marches have been peaceful and that's the reality but there's a lot of people out there that just can't get away from focusing on the rioting and so what do you what do you say to those people yeah and i think it i think it's honestly just accepting that that's that's the course of american history throughout you know that's how change has been done if we were to tell 
you know, the Boston Tea Party, why did you throw the tea in the in the ocean? Like, why did you do that? You could have just, you know, done that peacefully. I don't think that's necessarily how how change comes about. And if you look at it now, sort of, you know, people have been protesting peacefully for, you know, let's just say within the sense of the civil rights movement. And we've had, you know, change along the way, incremental change. But, you know, overnight, I think conversations were discussed about defunding police because of these issues. And I think as much as we may not like rioting and not condone it, I think the effectiveness of what happened and sort of just in the American context and American historical context is this is what Americans have done. And I think it's only a problem when minorities do it, right? And you see it, especially in sports. And like if we're talking about sports, you see it every time the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, the whatever it is, there's always some sort of riot, some sort of destruction, but it's only a problem when, you know, minority individuals are involved. So I'm sort of like, you know, if we if we're gonna, you know, call the kettle black, it's sort of the same thing. Like we have to accept it on, on both sides of the issue. That's a good point. Shannon. Yeah, I think what Jameson said really resonates. I mean, living in Chicago, even when I moved here from Philadelphia, which isn't known as some like racial you know, haven, but it, it, Chicago, it just really struck me, the segregation in this city and the, um, uh, just how the history of that is so ingrained in Chicago. And I think if you're not from here originally, like you just accept that as normal. So even people who are, um, you know, consider themselves very progressive, very liberal, white people I know and consider friends, um, you know, it, it, it still, it comes down to, like you said, those, those systems that are in place and then your individual choices within those systems. Like, uh, where, what neighborhood are you choosing to live and raise your family in? in Chicago? You're choosing in a city that is uh, not majority white to raise your kid in like an all white neighborhood. I mean, that's, and when I hear somebody in Chicago say like, oh, we just, we don't have a lot of diversity. I mean, that is a choice on your part. Like you're, self-segregating really in my opinion on that um so we do have choices within these these systems um and yeah i, I think it, with the the rioting part too i just one thing that it just i don't know there's a million examples but it really hit me with um somebody i i know who went to college with and saw um who had not said really anything about jacob blake or george floyd or brianna taylor but was very, very, very disgusted and moved and emotional about these Michigan Avenue high-end Cartier stores <laughs> having their windows broken. Those aren't human lives. I mean, yeah, that shouldn't happen. And when it happens in um, uh, under-resourced under neighborhoods and majority Black neighborhoods, I, I can see even more the devastation and real-life effect of that. But I feel like in a lot of places, people are a lot more moved and sad and heartbroken and have a lot more to say about some windows being broken than they do about people losing their lives. Um, and as far as and trying to link that into my job, um, yeah, I think like a big thing that I've tried to learn, and I'm not perfect at all, I still have a lot more to learn on this and try to do better but it is what Kareem had said about listening and actually hearing um, what people are talking about that I cover, um, letting them tell me what, what the story is. Um, and also just even, you know, when I'm quoting people um, or looking for an expert to look for black voices or depending on the topic, you know, people of color, um, let them uh, be the voices of experts on this. Um, and, and use that and talk to as many people as I can to, to learn about the, the varied experiences and giving people an opportunity, like I said, to tell, tell me the story rather than me trying to, to dictate what that is. Kareem, you, you touched a little bit earlier on your, on your own kids. And as, as we kind of wind this down, I, I want to get thoughts from yourself and from Shannon, who you all are, are raising biracial children. And so how have you gone about navigating these last four to five months? Because I'm sure, I'm sure all of your kids have questions. My sophomore, um, he's kind of, 
you know, he's he's naive, you know, to the fact of of uh, the racism. To be honest with you, um, until here of late, and 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 what I mean by that is he he had um, he had an experience at the last last school that he was that he was at, and um, uh, and I, I won't I won't say the, the the town or city or whatever, but but finally got got you know an understanding of what that looks like, and so then when everything we went into COVID and then everything with uh, that that's gone on with George Floyd and you know uh, Breonna Taylor and things, and so it's been a it's been an opportunity for me to be able to educate him a little bit more, even with his experience that that happened, that. Um, you know, let, let's face it, you know, being in, in college athletics, he's, you know, those, you know, they're, they're around pretty diverse, you know, and where we live and where, you know, where he's gone to school typically and being around, uh, you know, yeah, so, so it's been, it's been pretty, um, you know, eye opening for him to understand that, that this still goes on, you know, the 10, my 10 year old who's in the fifth grade, you know, still doesn't quite understand it but trying to you know just still the same way just trying to teach him about what to what to keep his eyes and ears open for when he's in school or when he's around people to be able to if he's not comfortable with things that are being said that he doesn't feel that are racially inclined to what what should be going on to be able to to be able to um, uh, be able to speak up for himself I don't want I don't want my kids to run from the situation. I want I want my kids to be able to speak up a heck of a lot earlier than I did, you know. And so that doesn't mean to to um, cause conflict. But if you hear something or somebody uh, speaking about um, you know somebody else that's of another race and and you don't think that's that's right, then then I think we should should speak up. And those are ty- type of things that I'm trying to you know, teach my, teach my kids on. And obviously with the, again, I, I, I touched upon again with my 60 or my 15 year old getting ready to be 16 and get his license of it, it's crazy. Got to They got to talk to him about if he does not, if when he gets pulled over, um, you know, how to, how to be able to be able to handle themselves, having your, you know, before the cop gets there, having your, your registration, having everything out, uh, you know, in the driver's seat or on the dashboard, you know, trying to, you know, keep your hands on the wheel. You know, it's sad that we that have to talk to him and give him that, but that's, that's the reality of it. Of again, a, a soon to be 16 year old kid who, who's going to eventually get pulled over by cops in, in areas that, and let's be honest, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, Terre Haute, Indiana, that, that are some, some areas that aren't as, as diverse as we were, we're accustomed to. And so uh, those are the type of conversations that uh, we've, we've had to have. You, you mentioned earlier in this conversation about in the past, you've been sort of PC politically correct. Now that you're using your voice more, how liberating has it been to be able oh. to feel like you can u- finally use your voice? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, it's been, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I do, I, I feel relieved, you know, like, like, uh, uh, that, that we can, and not only my, obviously myself, but we can all the, we can all kind of speak more freely. I mean, the student athletes, again, I go back to see here and here and how, how powerful the, some of these student athletes have been and, and speaking their minds and, and, and doing, uh, you know, coming together and doing things has been awesome. And so uh, that's where I kind of go back to my own kids again. I, I just want, I, I hope that they can, they can um, be braver than, than I was, I, I'll be honest with you, and, and less fearful of, of uh, what's, uh, what could happen. You know, you think about Colin Kaepernick and what he did was it four years ago, he, he nailed and we, you know, a lot of people were, I mean, he gets black ball from football. And and uh, and now now we got you got NBA we got MLS we got WNBA we got all these teams that are that are taking a knee and and uh, it's celebrated and and uh, so to speak for for a lot of us now I know there's some that that don't like that or don't celebrate it but but to be able to understand the change uh, that that we can make when we are able to express ourselves in the right manner uh, is powerful. 
Shannon, uh, your, your son is a little bit younger. So what, uh, what's been your experiences navigating this time with him? Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to jump off what Kareem said is just about having his kids feel brave enough to speak up. I hope what's different about this time, hopefully, is that there'll be other kids there with him and not just other black kids. And I think um, that's maybe one of the more powerful things about what we're seeing right now. It hasn't all played out perfectly, but um, that you are seeing more white people marching for Black Lives Matter and other causes. Um, I'm thinking of like Illinois State is leading an athlete boycott right now um, against, you know, not, not practicing right now until they see some changes on their campus. I think that school is like, I want to say like 8% Black, um, but the, I mean, the, these this boycott's gone across almost every team and they're, you know, uh, I talked to one of the um, athletes on the track team or cross country team and he's the only black um, athlete on that team, but he has the support of all of his white teammates who are also boycotting. And I think that hopefully is what, what could make a difference. Um, as far as um, with my own son is uh, he, he just turned eight in July and um, so he is younger, but something that stood out uh, you know, I've never like shied away from talking to him about this. And luckily I have a lot of um, good friends and school system that's supportive and has helped me learn how to navigate this. But, um, you know, I, I don't really like teaching him a lot about black history. It's only about slavery and only about police brutality and to be, you know, proud of who he is and, and resisting um, within those systems and those time periods. And, um, feeling strength from that um, and, you know, thinking about life before um, before slavery and the things, uh, you know, and, and during all these amazing things um, that Black people have done throughout history. But um, something that I just thought was like, wow, kids see things so <laughs> in such a better way sometimes than adults is, um, you know, I talked to him, I don't get like very graphic, but about but he does know that these things have happened as far as um, like the police killings and uh, George Floyd and Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake was from Evanston where we live. And um, I showed him a video of all these people marching in Evanston. And, you know, I think a lot of parents, white parents would think, um, gosh, that's going to scare your kid and your kid's going to just now be so fearful and you're taking away their innocence. And I didn't say anything really. My son's takeaway was, wow, all these people care about my future and all these people are willing to risk their lives for me. That was his takeaway that he saw power in that. And um, I hope like we can all start to see it that way. I, I think that would really benefit everybody if we started to see just that this is, this is something for all of us. As, as we wind this down, I just want to get closing thoughts from each of you. So Jameson, let's start with you. Thank you again, Kelly, um, for, for this opportunity. Um, and I think, you know, it, this is obviously a very um, pivotal time in sort of, you know, our history. And I think this, this notion that, you know, I think we all should accept that we are living through history now, you know, and it's those things that you hear about in textbooks, that's, that's what's happening right now, right? And I think sort of for everyone to sort of have that impetus of this is what is happening and this is, how we are crafting, you know, our future is something that, you know, I think we can, we can all look forward to. And I think, I mean, you see it within, you know, comments on the, the Missouri Valley Instagram page, right? Not everyone agrees with, with what's going on and, and, and that's okay. But I think we understand that if you want to be on the right side of history, I think we all know where that's going. And I think this sort of ability, you know, like I think Kareem and, and Shannon was saying, but we, you know, we do have to get out there and vote, you know, it changes how we, how we make changes is, is these systematic issues that need to be addressed. And, and, you know, like Kareem was saying, it's not just the president, it's going to come down to, you know, state, you know, municipality elections that really does change for, you know, individual lives and communities of color throughout, you know, the United States. So I think, you know, that in a, a lot of that pressure is then put on, you know, our athletes and, and people of color to, you know, step up and do, you know, what we've been doing for the last four or 500 years. So I think, you know, I'm excited to see what happens. And, and I'm grateful that, you know, we have a conference that is, again, 
you know, sort of championing the, the efforts that we all want to push forward. Kelly, like Jeremy said, thank you for, for having me. And, and also, uh, it's, it's, it's been really, I, I think of myself as, a, as a, a Missouri Valley guy. I've been, I played in the Valley. I've coached it, it seems like almost every comp, every school in the league. And so I've been, I'm, I'm a Valley, Valley person through in and throughout. And so this makes me feel very proud. Uh, that uh, that you guys are, are are doing this and having these type of uh, conversations and dialogues and and as we you know again another uh, uncomfortable like these type of topics have been uncomfortable for a lot of us and so to be able to continue having these uncomfortable conversations we we have to do and uh, you know we can't again I, as as I mentioned with our C four C our coaches for change. You know, our emphasis right now is, is voting, but we, we, when I say we, I mean, we as a society and, and, and coaches and athletes, you know, it can't, it can't stop uh, after November 3rd. You know, we got to keep this thing rolling. We got to keep the momentum going. And, and uh, for, you know, for somebody like me that has, has kids at 15 and 10 and, and 23, like it's got to, We've got to keep this thing going so they can see significant change in, as they become uh, old like me. And so, uh, so I just, I just, I just uh, again, appreciate the Valley for doing this. And, and uh, hopefully we can keep, keep this thing going. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to be part of this discussion and to um, learn a lot today from Kareem and Jameson, too, and a lot of things to consider here um, with how I do my job and, you know, live my life as an individual too. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, one thing, I think what uh, Jameson said about just we're, we're living through history, what side of history do you want to be on? I think sports is a great way to look at that. I hope people can start to, I mean, delve in. I don't know that we're the best at uh, American history, <laughs> but learning from history. But, um, you know, if we want to take that, I mean, everybody I know, I feel like every old guy in America has some kind of like Muhammad Ali poster or something. America hated this guy. I mean, people who's everyone's grandpa who said they love Muhammad Ali, they're lying. They're all lying. <laughs> I mean, he was just, you know, obviously ostracized and, you know, just considered just the most radical. That's what I used to laugh when people would talk about Kaepernick and like, I'm like, you, you, you say you like Muhammad Ali and you've got a problem with this guy. Oh my gosh. Like you wouldn't have been able to handle Muhammad Ali. And he's just one example, but you know, that we look at those examples of um, who now is seen as heroes. Even, you know, when you look at the 1968 Olympics and um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, and it, now that's like, you know, one of the most iconic images in American history, not just sports history. Um, but it, it shows like how into, integral and intertwined sports is with our society. And I feel like if we can start thinking about those things and about how sports really near society and vice versa, um, there's, there's a lot we could learn from, from being sports fans and being involved in this game. And hopefully um, it, it can help. It has helped before open minds and see things differently and enact political change and social change. So I think we're in that moment again, and I hope I hope it uh, is fulfilled. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Kareem. Thank you, Jameson. I am always so appreciative to be part of these discussions because I feel like every time we have one of these roundtables, I, I learn so much from people like you. So thank you for everything you're doing and, and the examples and the role models that you are in your respective communities. Thank you.